Happy birthday, OSC. 20 years today, we, we, we did everything wrong you could do wrong, and we, we planted a church 20 years ago. Pastor Bubba you knows now that you never start a church on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Your attendance isn't going to be very high, <laughs> and, but we did, and that was 20 years ago, and we've been just seeing God's faithfulness over all those years. And I'm just excited today because my heart is full because Cheryl and I have been a part of this for about 18 or 19 years now. And um, I'm just taken back with the memories of, of all the different things that we've walked through. Our first, very first service at OSC was when we moved from two hours away in Franklin. And we packed everything into two or three vehicles and even the dog. Yeah, we brought the dog with us. And, and we drove in on that Sunday morning and didn't unpack anything. We went straight to church. We had all of our stuff look like a caravan and, and left the dog in the car with the windows down. Okay, yeah, some of you were like, oh, my God. And uh, the dog lived a lot longer. But, but we, our very first Sunday was we just rolled into Jennings and just went to church and was just faithful. And we've just, we've just experienced all the incredible things that God has done over all these years. And so we're not celebrating today. We're not celebrating our church. We're celebrating God's faithfulness. Amen. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating all the people that would give their lives to Christ over 20 years, all the marriages that would, be, that would be restored, all the relationships that would be restored, the prodigal sons and daughters that would return home, and, and the folks that honestly at the end of the service would raise their hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating, all that God's done. So can we just pause for a minute and thank God for what he's done? <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for every person and every story. God, we thank you for every hand that was raised, every person that went from spiritual death into spiritual life when they were born again. God, we thank you for the memories and the moments and how we've seen your faithfulness time and time and time and time again. And Lord, we thank you today for the plans that you have for us in the future. God, it's one thing to celebrate what you've done. It's another thing to take that and turn around and look at what you're going to do ahead of us. And so today, God, we stand with a big old future in front of us, and we just once again submit all of this to you, and we ask you, God, to have your way with us, to use us, to build your kingdom in this region, in Jesus' name, amen. Happy birthday. So hey, I want to I give a message to you today. I want to bring a message to you called, We're Crossing Over. Um, the title is We're Crossing Over, and the purpose of the message is to, one, today we're celebrating all that God has done to this point, and that's very important. Even in your own personal life, you need to consistently look back at what God has done and remember what he has done, because that's going to help you when you turn and begin to go forward to do what God wants you to do and to see even more things happen. And so today we're, we're crossing over, and I want to share a story with you from the book of Joshua about the nation of Israel. <clears throat> but first I want to give you kind of the backstory. Um, uh, back up 400 years, the nation of Israel is in a famine. God sent Joseph ahead to, to Egypt. He became the second most important person in Egypt. And then the nation was actually rescued from this famine because God sent Joseph ahead to prepare a way for this whole nation, his people, his chosen people. So the nation of Israel, over 400 years before this story, moves into Egypt because they needed to be rescued. Egypt represented a place of rescue, a place of refuge, a place of my needs are getting met and we're going to be able to live on. And so they, they stayed in Egypt. They had Pharaoh's blessing for many years. And then that Pharaoh died and another Pharaoh, Pharaoh was risen or, or took, took the throne. And he didn't, and the nation of Israel didn't have the same favor they had with the first Pharaoh. And so that Pharaoh, he looked across and he said, man, that's a mighty nation. There's a lot of people. They're strong. They can, I mean, they, they even talk about how fast the women get pregnant and push out babies. I mean, it was like, these women are tough. And so, so he, he goes, we're going we're gonna to have to take these people captive. We're going to have to enslave them or else they're going to run us over. And so then all of a sudden, Pharaoh begins to enslave the nation of Israel. And for approximately 400 years, that nation just sits there in slavery, but, but the, God's hand was still on them 
because even in slavery, they were still multiplying. God was, his hand was still on them. I just, just, there's just something quick right there I just want to give you. You can be in a moment where you feel like you're enslaved to something, but listen to me, God will still work in your life even in that moment. Amen? And so they were, they were enslaved, but they were multiplying. And then God sends Moses in there to get his people free. Funny thing, Moses had a stuttering problem, and God sent him to deliver a message. So what's your excuse? <clears throat> And so they, they finally get set free. They come to the moment where, they, where they, they face the Red Sea and Egypt is coming to capture them again. They're pursuing them. And God tells Moses to raise up his staff. And when he does, God parts the Red Sea. It says he pushes back the, the water and there's a wall of water. I love the cartoon because in the cartoon you get to, you know, you remember the kids cartoon with, when, with the Red Sea and, and they're walking through and when the lightning strikes, you see the big whale right there. It just, it just brightened up my imagination when I used to watch that with my kids because I'd have been like, I'm going to reach in and grab me a fish for supper, right? Come on, somebody. And so, so they, they walk through on dry ground, and then God surrounds or, or covers their enemy up and destroys their enemy. And then they travel in the wilderness, the desert, the Bible says. And God was taking them on a 14-day journey. I want you to get this. The journey was only 14 days. From Egypt to the promised land was 14 days of distance, 14 days of walking. Yet they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Anybody want to know why? Because they were complaining, because they were ungrateful, and because they were rebellious towards God. It's fascinating. It really is because God not only did he part the Red Sea, save them, they walk through, they get to the other side. Then he begins at daytime, he would lead them with a cloud, not like the eye cloud, like they didn't look at a, a, a literal cloud. So they would follow this cloud during the day. And then at night, when they traveled at night, there was a fire that they would follow. That's how God led them. And then not only that, God would deliver food from heaven every day. This is, this is incredible. Every day he supplied them with just enough food for that day. And then the next day he would supply food again. And the next day he would supply food again. And at one time they complained about the food they were eating. So he supplied them with something else. And he supplied them with so much that they got sick of eating it. And then they finally repented. Doesn't that sound like us? They will finally repent. And then God started feeding them right again. They would get water from the rocks. as they traveled on their way to this promised land that God wants them to be a part of. And I want you to understand something today that God has a journey, God has a plan, God has a purpose for every one of us. Every one of you has a purpose attached to you. You have a journey attached to you. Some of you are, are critically wondering why you've had to go through what you've had to go through. But listen to me, that may just be part of the journey that God wants you to go on. He's always bringing us to something else. At one time, Egypt rescued Israel. But then all of a sudden, Egypt became not enough. So go with me to Joshua chapter 3. They're now, the, the, the old generation died off. The reason they wandered for 40 years because the complainers, God wanted to kill the complainers. So quick note, you might ought to jot down. God don't like complaining. And he don't like rebels. He may keep you in the desert for 40 years. And when he's had enough, he may just take your life. Be important to write it down. So the next generation is now standing at the bank of the Jordan River. And God is, is, is wanting to move them across into this promised land that he has for them. Joshua now is leading the nation, and God begins to speak to Joshua, and this, this is where we pick the story up. He says, give this command to the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant. Quick side note, the Ark of the Covenant was a box wrapped in gold, and on, on the inside was articles of gold. It had two long poles attached to it that the priest would carry, and only the priest could carry the, the Ark of the Covenant. If anybody else tried to touch it or get too close to it, they would instantly die. Very heavy box, very spiritual box. The, the box represented, or the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Not Christmas presence, but like the, the close proximity of God. 
So he says, give this command to those who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarenthan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. Quick note, pretty cool, right? God comes in, the priests step into the water. When their feet touch the water, the bank to the north pushes back to the next town. The, the water to the south continues to drain out. That's crazy, isn't it? Say, that's crazy. Pretty crazy. I don't like to have been a part of that. That would be cool, right? I'd hate to have been in a town called Adam because all this water would have backed up. <laughs> that's not the only miracle. The other miracle in the moment was not only did God push the water back, but the ground they crossed over on was dry. Now, we all know how long it takes ground to dry don't we it's never fast enough isn't it so they're crossing over onto dry ground and God sends the priest ahead and when they step into the water and you got to make note of this it's not the water doesn't part until they step into the water when they step in the water it parts and they stand in the middle of the river while the whole nation crosses over about three million Jews in all cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. Due to their disobedience and complaining, a 14-day journey turned into a 40 years of wilderness. Egypt represents not enough. So God took them from not enough and brought them into the wilderness. The wilderness represents just enough. Remember, God fed them every day exactly what they needed to eat for that day. So don't tell me that God doesn't know you and God doesn't know your needs because he fed three million people every day exactly what they needed. And he's doing the same thing for a bunch of us here. So you may feel like you're in a wilderness today. You may feel like you're kind of just wandering through a desert, but listen to me. God is still meeting your needs. Some of you are frustrated because God's only meeting your daily needs and you're getting impatient with God and you're, getting, you're beginning to get irritated with God. Listen to me. If he's meeting your daily needs, shut up your complaining and start rejoicing because he knows how much you need and he's still giving it to you. Amen? Because I've been there. God, Lord, like we just got enough. Like, can we get a little lanyard, Lord? He says, yeah, you'll get to it one day. But right now you're trusting me for every day. I'm doing something right here. I'm doing something in this wilderness. You see, God's always up to something. But he was bringing them, and the ultimate goal was to get them into this place called the promised land. And the promised land represents more than enough. He took them from not enough, put them on a journey on just enough, and then finally gets them to a place of more than enough. How many of you longing for a little promised land? Come on, somebody. Uh, it's time, Lord. It's time for some more than enough. I want to know what that feels like. Anybody in this church? So basically, God killed off the whole previous generation except for Joshua and Caleb. And now it's time for a new generation to cross over. But they had to trust God for themselves. So what will it take to cross over? I got three points I want to give you this morning. 
about what it takes to cross over because some of you today are standing at a place, you're living in a moment right now where you need to cross over something. You need something to break through in your life. You need some kind of breaking. You need something to push through. I don't know if, if you're in this service or if you're in the first service, but, but I just feel like somebody needs like a, just a heavenly push right now for something just to begin to break. Amen? So number one, the way we cross over is by going all in following God. Go all in. Don't stop. Don't stop following God. Too many of us today, we're divided. We want a piece of the world and we want a piece of God. We want enough of God to make it to heaven, but we want enough of the world to think we're having a good time. We, our passions are divided. We give passion to the tigers. We give passion to God on Sunday. We give passion to the saints until they lose. We give passion to the deer that are, are running through our, our leases and we want to kill them and we're giving passion to sales at stores and we're, we're giving passion to what our reputation needs to be on social media. And we're divided. We're divided. We're giving God a little bit and we're giving the world too much. What would happen if we went all in following God? Like we would say to the world, I'm done with you. I'm following God from here on out. What would that look like? Joshua 3 verse 4 says this, Since you have never traveled this way before, they, talking about the priest, will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. The ark represents the presence of God, like I was saying earlier. And, and the instructions were that the priests are going to be a, about a half a mile ahead of you. Keep that distance. Keep that distance as you follow the presence of God. How many of you can get in a hurry? How many of you lacking some patience today? Yeah, you all need to raise your hands. Some of you trying to be holy up in church. We all lack in patience. We all get in a hurry at times. We all get distracted and confused and, and our lives get combobulated, right, with all kinds of other stuff and we miss out on God's presence. But God's telling us today to follow my presence. Stay at a good, healthy distance. Don't outrun me and don't drag behind too far. I've spent 45 years trying to learn this lesson. I think what's helping me to learn the lesson is I love to be in God's presence more than I finally love to be in mine. I want to be in his presence. I'm starting to get to a point in my life now where I go, I'm just thinking, God, I want to be in your presence, not my presence. I don't want to do things my way anymore. I'm tired of running ahead. I've spent 45 years running ahead of God, being too distracted, having too many things going on, calendar too full, trying to accomplish the world and missing out on his presence. And I'm sad to say that it took 45 years to make me realize that his presence is worth more than any gold I could have ever captured. Any gold I could have ever dug up. Any reputation I could have ever established for myself. God's presence is so much better. Moses said, Lord, if you don't go, I'm not going. The Bible gives very clear instructions. God gives very clear instructions on how we're to handle his presence. There was a guy in the Bible one time when the ark was, was, I think they put it on a wagon and it was getting ready to stumble and he wasn't supposed to be this close and he reaches out his hand to keep it from stumbling and he touched the ark and the Bible says that God killed him because he mishandled his presence. Some of us are suffering death because we don't know how to handle the presence of God. Go all in following God. You know it's easier to follow than it is to lead. Following, you get to follow the other person that's going first, right? You don't have to be first, you get to be second. Everybody wants to be a boss. I learned this when I went into business for myself. Everybody wants to be the boss until they become one. I wanted to own my own business until I had one. Make sure it's easier being an employee than an employer. Anybody know my pain? 
But we get hurried. We get rushed. Little Timmy's got to be a part of everything. Little Susie got to make every dance recital. And our lives get too distracted. And we get divided on where we're giving our passion and our attention. This year, we're committing to run at God's pace. As a church leadership, we're committing to move this church at God's pace. To not outrun him anymore. To not focus on what the church world is doing, but to focus on what God is doing right here and move at his pace and not my pace. You see, it's prideful to think that we can go ahead of God and do things before he gets there. And too many of us miss his timing. We miss his pace. We get frustrated because we think he doesn't move fast enough. Anybody guilty? God never moves fast enough. Do you know most of the time he doesn't move as fast as you want him to move because he's protecting you from something? Do you realize sometimes he's, he's teaching you something in the moment? Do you realize sometimes he's forging some character in you and developing some integrity in you that, that you're going to need for the next place that you go to? But if you outrun this trial, if you outrun this test or this moment, you're not going to get what you need? Go all in following God. Paul said it this way. He said, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You see, God calls us children who follow his Spirit. You got to stay humble to follow. You got to stay humble to follow. That means when, when life isn't moving or things aren't coming like you think they need to come right now, it's, it takes humility to stay and wait for God. The Bible says to be still and know that I am God. How do we know that he's God? When we're still. I believe most of us are missing that moment of being still before God and knowing him. Paul is teaching us that the purpose of Christianity is beyond salvation. Salvation is important. In salvation, we go from spiritual death into spiritual life. We don't go from being bad people to becoming good people. We go from spiritual death into spiritual life. The Bible says we've been raised to life again. It says we're born again. We get a chance to go again. We're now made right with God. That's salvation. But Christianity goes beyond that. You know what Christianity's purpose is? It's for us to learn how to walk with God. It's not how good I can be. It's not how few bad things I can do in a day. It's how close can I walk with God? How long and consistently can I walk with God? And the longer you walk with him, the more you want to take on his character and his nature because who you hang out with is eventually who you become. Amen? So number one, we're going to go all in following God. Number two, we're going to go all in before you see the change. <laughs> this is a good one because some of us want to see it before we do it. Thursday night at the prayer meeting, uh, I had a message called, are you a seeing is believing kind of Christian or, or are you a believing is seeing kind of Christian? I wish you could have been here. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Go all in before you see the change. Now, this is the scary part of Christianity. Joshua 3.8 says this, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now that sounds all good for him to tell some priests to go walk out into the river and stop when your feet get in the water, but they're carrying a big old heavy box. Right? Let me let you in on another little secret. When the Jordan River was at its normal peak, it was three foot deep and a hundred foot wide. The Bible said it was harvest season and it overfilled its banks. The Jordan River, when it overfills its banks at its capacity, it's 500 feet wide and 10 feet deep. And there's white water rapids running down it. So he didn't say, grab that box and go stand in that coulee right there. He said, grab that box and go put your feet in the river. That's above its banks. Sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? I'd have been like, well, can't we just get a staff like Moses did? 
Like, where's the staff? Somebody cut a staff out real quick. I just hold a staff up, you know what I'm saying? Like, it worked for Moses, it'll work for me. Just hold a staff up, down to get my feet wet. You know, the water's apart, and then we can go across on dry ground. Why we can't just do it that way? That would have been me. Take a few steps into the river and stop there. You know, sometimes God doesn't move until we move. You know, sometimes what God's waiting for is for you to take your first natural step before he does something supernaturally. Sometimes he's waiting for you to take a natural step like lead a life group, go to a life group, sign up for the dream team, tell somebody about Jesus, grab an invite card, invite somebody to church. Like he's waiting on you to take your first step. And when you take your first step, he does something supernatural. You can't see it. But you can feel it. You can sense it. And some of you are one natural step away from God doing something supernaturally. It could be forgiveness. You could be running your head against a wall called unforgiveness. And that wall don't fall until you forgive that person. And the minute you take that step and you forgive that person, God comes rushing in. He does something supernaturally that breaks through everything. And you'll feel it and you'll sense it and you'll watch the days to come. God will begin to shift things in your life. What did God say to the priest? I need you to trust me to put your feet in that rushing water. Just go put your feet in the water. And when you put your feet in the water, I'm going to do my part. What if God's telling us today, you do your part, I'm going to do my part. But my part don't start until you do your part. Hmm. That's interesting. So you mean, Pastor, he's waiting on me? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. God's waiting on you. He's always waiting on us, isn't he? The Bible said as soon as their feet hit the water, the water to the north backed up to the next town. The water to the south drained into the sea and the ground dried up. You'll never know what God can do until you take your step. But I get it. It's scary. It's scary, right? Come on, let's get, let's get real practical about this whole thing. It's scary sometimes when God asks us to take a step, isn't it? Like, I want you to go and forgive that. But they did it to me. I know. I saw the whole thing. I could flash it before your eyes again if you want me to. But I'm telling you, you need to be the grown-up Christian right now, and you need to go forgive that person. I'll forgive them. There you go. Really? Is that how he forgave you? Hmm. Is that how he forgave you? You see, because when God forgave me, you know what he did? He forgot about everything I ever did. You know what happened? He cleansed that off of me and went down the drain, and, and, and all drains go to the sea, right? Come on, Nemo. Y'all got to step your cartoon game up a little bit. He cleansed me. He forgave me. He doesn't bring my past up anymore. He never reminds me of the Kuyan I used to be. He's always telling me about the man of God I can be. Amen? So if he forgives me that way, when he tells me to forgive other people, he expects me to do it the same way. He gave the example, right? To treat them as if they've done nothing wrong. (gasps) But he's God. I'm not God. I hear that argument too. But he's living on the inside of you. He gives you power. He gives you grace. And I'm talking about forgiveness, and I don't know why I'm focusing on forgiveness. This wasn't even a part of the message. But maybe somebody here today needs to forgive somebody else, and when you do, the the waters are going to part, and you're going to be able to cross over to the other side. But what if it's not just forgiveness? What if it's actually taking a step of faith and doing something that God's been calling you to do? What if it's giving something financially? And you hadn't been listening. Oh, you've been hearing, but you hadn't been listening. 
What if it's to step out and lead something that you don't think you're qualified to lead? You know, if you're not qualified, you're perfectly qualified. Because God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. Right? I mean, I'm perfect example. I drank my way through college, failed out, ended up flat on my face, working for my uncle and him, and God called me into the ministry. I'm like, dang, was that the prerequisite? <laughs> Go all in before you see the change. You know what it takes to step out, though? It takes courage. Courage. Let me tell you what courage is not. Courage is not muscling your way through something. Courage is not flexing until the thing moves. Courage is not bossing people around. Courage is not getting a full head of steam and just running at the wall. Courage is putting confidence in God's promises, his presence, and his power. That's what real courage is. Real courage shows up when you're faced with something and you can't see how it's going to work and you go, God, I don't know it, but I trust you. I trust you in this moment. You know what courage is? Is when Pastor Bubba and Tracy, the first thing they said was, what are you most proud of? I'm proud we didn't quit. That may sound a little facetious to some of you, but listen to me. It's a, it's a miracle they didn't quit with all the stuff they had to go through. It took real courage. Confidence in God's promises, his presence, and his power. There was something God told Joshua when he was, he was taking over the, the kingdom, uh, when he was taking over the nation of Israel from Moses. God told him three times, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Three times God told him that in a, merit, in a matter of a, of a chapter, I believe it is. God said, be strong and courageous. I'd have been like, all right, Lord, I got the message. Why did God tell him three times? Could it be that it was going to take three times as much strength and courage to get where God was sending him than it took to get him where he was? Do you think the next step that God wants you to take is going to be easier than the last step? If you do, you're foolish. Amen? Me and Cheryl, we packed our bags up. God said, go find Bubba, ask him what he needs and help him. That was 18 years ago. We packed our bags up, put the house up for sale, and in two weeks we moved. I was so proud of myself. I said, man, we did it. We did it. We took a face step. We don't have to take any more face steps. We're done. We graduated the school of faith, baby. We're finished. To quickly realize that was easy. <laughs> the things coming after that were crazy. But watch this. What we got in the first step gave us what we needed for the second step. So we're going to go all in before we see the change. That's called faith. And then number three, we're going to go all in because God's faithfulness in the past builds my faith for the future. They've been waiting 40 years for this moment. They made it across, and then God tells them to do something that just seems crazy. Watch this, John, Joshua chapter 4. God says, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder. It was not a pebble. It was a real stone. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Wow. So they finally cross over. Three million people come across. The priests, anybody want to be a preacher or a priest? You're going to have to stand in the middle of the river for three million people to cross over and hold the water back. You sure you want to be in the ministry? But if you do, we're ready for you. Three million people cross over. God says to each one of the heads of the tribes of Israel, there were 12 tribes. He says, I want you to grab a stone, throw it on your shoulder, and go back into the middle of that river, and I want you to set up a monument. I want you to set up a something that's going to remind you of all that God's done. My family and I took vacation last year to Georgia, North Georgia, just south of Tennessee, and it was a beautiful, beautiful place, and we had a great vacation, and we... We took a train ride on the only river in the U.S. that flows north. 
Didn't make sense to me, but I wanted to see the only river that flows north. I was like, this has got to be cool. So we're we're sitting in this train with no sides on the train, and we're watching, looking over this river, and it's beautiful. You see these big, massive boulders in the bottom of this river. And then we're coming up, and the tour guide says, he says, we're getting ready to come up on an ancient Indian um, trick that they used to use to catch fish. I was like, oh, wow, ancient. I'm down with some ancient. So we, we're coming up on this thing, and they kind of slowed. I think they slowed the train down a little bit. And what you saw in the water was you saw a big old V. They, they walked out in the water. It was crystal clear. The water, they walked out in the water, and they would, they would just take stones and start stacking them, and they made a big V. And then the river's flowing this way, and they made this big V, and then they left a gap from this end of the V to the bank. And they would take all the kids, and they would put the kids on that, that opening, and the kids would splash the water, just all day, just splash the water. And what would happen is when the fish came down, they, they would scare the fish to the left. The fish would come to the left, and they would get caught up in this V. And, the, and the, the older people were in the V. I don't know. They didn't have nets, but I'm sure they had a way to catch fish. But they would start capturing the fish until they had enough to eat. Pretty cool. It was years and years and years and years ago. Ancient Indians used to do this, and it was still there. And people in this generation still remember the story of what happened. Pretty cool, eh? It was a good experience for me. I really enjoyed it. Too bad you got muddy bayous here and you can't, you know, you grab what you think is a stone, it's going to be a snapping turtle and you're going to lose a finger. So don't try that. But God tells them to go back into the river and set these 12 stones in the middle of this river. Remember, when the Jordan is at its normal stage, it's only three foot deep and 100 feet wide. He said, I want you to build a monument to remember everything that I've done. Why? Because them, just like us, forget. Right? We forget. I forget. I forget some of the things that God has done. I forget when I watch that, that video, I forget some of those faces. I forget some of those people. I forget some of those moments. And God wants us to remember what he did yesterday because what, you, what he did yesterday is going to give you everything you need for tomorrow. You got to get this today because some of you are forgetting what God used to do and then you're getting fuzzy and clouded and you don't know what he's doing tomorrow because you forgot what he did yesterday. So you're just kind of walking through this life blindfolded and you can't see where you're going because you forgot what he did yesterday and you're freaking out and you're crying and you're whining and you're complaining and you're being rebellious because you just don't know what the heck is God doing to me. What if he already gave you what you needed yesterday for where you're going tomorrow? You see, I write in my Bible. I, I got a journal now, but I used to write in my Bible, and I'd write all these pages in my Bible, and I would write down every experience I had with God, and I'd put a date and a time next to it. Because I learned very old, I forget easy. And anytime God would tell me to take another step or to cross over into something else, I would always go back to my Bible and I'd just begin to read some of these old stories because I was, I'll be honest with you, I'm scared to go into the next place God wants me to go because it's going to require me to die. And I don't like to die. I go back to my Bible and I read on this day, he said this, on this day, he did that. This is when he did that. Wow, I remember that. Wow, and that was incredible. What am I doing? I'm going back. I'm grabbing the faith I gained in that moment that I'm going to need for the next place. I'm going to grab and remember the faithfulness of God in the past that's going to bring me through this next step that's just ahead of me. Is this making sense? But if you don't have any stones and you don't write stuff down and you don't have a good memory, you're in a bind. Amen? Go all in because God's faithfulness in the past builds my faith for the future. The stones reminded them that God's the one that delivered them. He's the one that carried them. He's the one that helped them. Through the pain, through the questionings, through the defeat, through the wondering, it was God. It was God who did it. 
And then he said to do it for your children's children. I think that's super important. I think one day I want, I want to be able to, to grab some of my grandkids and say, hey, let me tell you some old stories of what God used to do. Let me tell you some of my stories. When I see my grandkids struggling with something and they're, they're wrestling with some serious life issues or some obedience issues, I, I just want to be the pawpaw that kind of been there, done that, got the shirt, the shirt got old, fell off, it's no longer around, and you just, I can go help my grandkids. You know what I'm saying? Like I can take them by the hand and say, listen to me, I remember 30 years ago when God did this for me. And they would hear my story of God's faithfulness and they would grab a hold of Papa's faithfulness and Papa's faith because of God's faithfulness and they'll walk into their own journey and have victory. Does that make sense? And then God says this in Joshua 4.10, that you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Gergesites, Amorites, Jebusites, Mamuites, Basilites, Lotelites, Eunicites. He'll drive them out. Some of you need a breakthrough today. Some of you need something to bust open. Some of you are feeling tremendous amounts of pressure right now and you need something to push through. The God that pushed through yesterday is the same God that'll push through today. Maybe you just need a moment of sitting still and knowing that he's God and remembering all that he's done and then you stand up and you look at that mountain in front of you and you say, in the name of Jesus, move. Move. Right now, move. Move. And your whole disposition starts to change and your whole perspective starts to change. You can look at a broken marriage and say, you're going to be healed and you're going to be restored. Broken relationships, you're going to be restored. People that are bound by addictions and all kinds of other issues, you're going to be set free. Amen? Because God will go and drive out those ahead of you. You see it? Remember when Jesus calmed the storm? Remember when he broke the bread and multiplied it? You remember when he calmed the storm, he rebuked the disciples because they just came through the whole moment where he broke the bed, the bread and multiplied it. And they seen that miracle, but they didn't bring the faithfulness of, of God from that miracle into the next thing. And when he had to rebuke the storm for them, he rebuked them. What was he mad about? You left your faith at the last miracle. You left your faith at the, at the last moment. We've seen God's faithfulness through hurricanes, floods, economic recessions, health battles. God has been faithful. And I'm standing before you today to tell you this. If he did it, then he will do it again. He is God, and he's not leaving anytime soon. He's not changing his mind. Nobody's taking his position away from him. He's God. We're not. If he did it yesterday, he'll do it again tomorrow. He's the same God. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so God didn't tell us to go build churches. He told us to go build disciples, to build people. And so we're in the business here at Our Savior's Church of reaching people, and building lives. And so this year we're making a commitment. And the commitment is this. We're going to seize the 167. We're going to seize the 167. That may sound odd to you and it should. We're going to seize the 167. There's 168 hours in a week. And we get to spend one hour a week roughly together. But then there's 167 hours that we're not together in this building celebrating and worshiping God and hearing a message and being in fellowship together. There's 167 hours where we're actually out in this world where people really need to know God and they really need to discover his purpose and his plan for their life. There's 167 hours that we get to spend in a world where people are dying and, and kicking open the gates of hell if something doesn't change in their life. The 167 is where the addicted are. The 167 is where the broken are. The 167 is where the people that only you can reach are. 
So our focus is going to shift from the one hour a week to the 167 that's out there for every one of us. And that's a, that's a commitment for every one of us to take what God does in the one and bring it to the 167 and see God do miracles because it's time. It's time for this church to get out of these walls and for every person that calls OSC home to take on a real responsibility called evangelism where we start to reach people right where they are, introduce them to God, and then let God come in and do his thing. Every one of us has a responsibility to advance the kingdom of God in this world around us because here's the reality. You can reach people I never can. You live in a neighborhood I don't live in. <clears throat> you work with people I don't work with. If you go to the gym, because it's, it's January going into February for right now, and if you go to the gym, and then there's people at your gym that I don't go to that gym, so, so there's people that only you can reach. You go to the grocery store at different times than we go to the grocery store, so there's only people at the grocery store when you go that you can reach. It's in the 167. Aren't you glad God found you? Isn't it time for God to use you to find other people? That's the 167. So that's our commitment to you. Any good coach coaching any kind of a team would, would tell his team this, that if we're only good at home, we'll have an unsuccessful year. Everything we do needs to travel. Everything that we do here, everything that we do in life groups, Everything that we do on Dream Team and outreaches needs to travel outside of here and it needs to start permeating the culture and the, and the world that you live in. But only you can do that. And you got big old smiles on your faces anticipating all that God's going to do. Do you get it? I believe every one of us will be held accountable not only for the one hour we spend together, but for the 167 that we spend in a lost world. Amen? There's people that need you. There's people that need God because here's the reality. Sunday is not enough. It's not enough. So I believe we're headed for our greatest days. I believe today we pause for a minute, look back at the 20 years that, that it took for God to get us to where we are today. And then at the end of the day, I think we turn and we look down the road and we see where God's bringing us as a church, as a body of believers. Amen? We're looking down the road and we want to see God do in the next 20 years even more than he did in the previous. Let's pray. It's time to go all in. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this message. I thank you for the invitation that you're laying before us today to come all in. I'm reminded of the verse in Matthew that says, if you'll seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. I pray, Lord, for this church that we become the kings and queens of the 167. That, God, we start living life with intention and with purpose. That I'm waking up today and God's going to give me an opportunity to give hope to somebody else. Even though I need hope right now, I'm believing that God's going to use me to give hope to somebody else. That God's going to use me to bring encouragement to somebody else. That God's going to use me to give life to somebody else. That when we wake up in the mornings, where our lives will have a heavenly purpose, a greater purpose. It's more than just going through the same old routine. It's a purpose that has eternal reward. It's a purpose that one day we're going to walk into heaven and we're going to see people that we were able to reach there. Because we were intentional and we lived on purpose. So God, help us today. Would you restore the passion of the first time we met you? Would you restore the energy of the first time we met you, the excitement, the anticipation? Would you put a fervor back in us, God? Would you put a zeal in us like we've not known for a long time? That God, everywhere we go, it would be on intention. It would be with a purpose. God, we would go all in. We would divorce the world. 
we would divorce the things of the world and we would marry your purpose and your vision God and our days Lord would be filled with seeing you move seeing the broken find hope seeing the hurting healed seeing those that are struggling just to live find something to live for God I pray you help us to take the next step you want us to take if it's forgiving someone if it's releasing them like you've released us God I pray you help us to take that next step if it's stepping out of a place of comfort into a place of the unknown because you've got something more for us to do than we even know ourselves God, I pray today you would give us the courage to do that. If it's letting go of something or someone that's holding us back, something we're involved in that we don't need to be involved in, if that's our first step, God, then help us to let go and walk away from that. That we would step back from that and see you begin to move. type of situation and both parties need to die to themselves I pray you help us to take that step that we would humble ourselves and we would bless one another and care for one another and love one another whatever that next step is God give us the courage to take it like driving to Jennings with a a green van and a DJ system and just trusting you for what they didn't even know was going to happen. God, how you brought support to them. You raised support for them, God. You you supported them financially. You, You took care of everything they needed. And God, because of their sacrifice and because of their courage, we now stand in the second church planted and there's a third campus planted and over over 1,200 people call themselves Christians today because of Pastor Bubba and Tracy's first step. God, show us today what this next step can do for every one of us. Knowing that there's generations down the road that are waiting and begging for us to take this step today. Help us, God. Help us. Lead us. I pray that we'll discover your pace, God. That we'll take our lives and we'll realign it to your schedule, to your pace. And that, God, we won't bite off more than we can chew. And we won't lag too far behind. But we'll stay right where you want us to stay. In your presence. So God bless us today.